All right, what's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 288. Um, in the spirit of sort of new things that we're doing on the podcast, uh, if you don't know, real quick, we started a YouTube series over on our YouTube channel called Marvel Schmarvel. want to make sure we get that out there. It comes out every weekend uh, where we're recapping the Marvel series on Disney Plus and, and movies as they come along, I'm sure. But in addition to that, we're going to kind of pick up where we've done before, like with some series here on the podcast we've kind of went through and watched all of the you know movies in a a in a franchise or in a series of films whether it was sleepaway camp Candyman, whatever it might mad be. max mad max like we've talked about this doing this longer term on the podcast so we're going to kind of get into that now that we're coming out every week just kind of mix it up a bit you know have an episode here and there that's just you know like we're kind of going through and watching them all so we're going to call and watch them all naturally yeah and uh, this is going to be the first episode in a series of episodes. We're going to watch all the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Before we get oh. to talking about that, we should probably say who we are. I'm Steve. And who else is here? I'm Ron. And I'm John. Yeah. Yes. Um, but based on the sweater that you're wearing, Steve, I feel like someone else is here with us today. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mr. Fred Krueger. There he is. I mean, this is my this is a Christmas shirt, but you know. Jackie it's, Earl Haley yeah. himself. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Jackie. <laughs> the iconic... Uh, we'll get to that later, John. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about the Nightmare series and specific films in this series a lot on the podcast. We love talking about horror movies in general. But uh, so it's natural that we kind of would come back around and spend some time probably over the next, you know, pepper these episodes through, but over the next month or so, kind of go through and, you know, kind of watch them in pairs in some cases uh, in trios or whatever, however we group them together. But this first episode, we're going to obviously start with Nightmare on Elm Street, and we're going to go through that and the Nightmare on Elm Street two. And uh, it's got a subtitle. We'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, what is it? Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Yeah. Freddy's Revenge. He says threw that off, man. It's just, it's just yeah. One of these episodes, I'm going to surprise you guys. I have this iconic image. I think I've actually sent it to you two before <laughs> on my parents' refrigerator. Oh, I remember. Uh, uh, you remember this? Of a shirtless yes. me on the boardwalk in Ocean City, Maryland, probably around like eight, seven, nine. I don't know, somewhere in that ballpark. They used to have those like photo spots where you could like sit with the cardboard cutouts of your favorite characters. And uh, I'd always do mine with the horror legends. I got the Freddy, the Jason, the Michael. But the Freddy one's just great because it for is. some reason I don't have a shirt on. And, uh, <laughs> I just it just felt right and uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say that you were painted in in stripes or something, you know, but you didn't go uh, that far. That would be cool too, but you know, were excited just, enough to whip your shirt off. You just didn't have like anything thought out after that, right? Right, right, and it's just you know, it's a it's a great photo. So maybe I'll maybe I'll bring yeah. that on the the pod, maybe on our our last episode for this. In my version of the story, you were trying to show Freddie who's boss, and you just like I got I got something for you, Fred. I got this. Check Cole, out these guns. You need a sweater. Well, check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he might lend me his. Because I'm about to give you the cold shoulder, Freddie. Okay, so wow. It's going to be real cold in the shade. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. So, yeah. I don't know. So, it's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. This is yeah. the, the, Of the series, there's some definite standouts as an overview. Like, obviously, we've talked about those on the podcast, like I just mentioned. And I think yeah. that the same few always come up. But it'll be really fun to kind of go through and give some attention to the ones that maybe we don't talk about as much. Uh, talk about what works, what doesn't work, um, what stands out, what's kind of maybe to the test of time. Some things age well, not so much for others. Yeah. And 
you know, just uh, the cultural impact of Freddy Krueger. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, in general, of a, of a lot of the horror icons, I feel like, you know, whenever there's like a, a – every Halloween they have like, you know, the brackets where they kind of like break them down. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all the icons in these like, you know, Freddy versus – Chucky and Chucky or you know what I mean like it, it breaks down and it always comes down like usually the same three or four and uh, I feel like Fred Krueger is always in that in that in those semifinals if not in the final round if not the winner depending where you look but for me personally he's definitely up there and I feel like depending on the day of the week um, you know it, it kind of comes down to you usually him and Michael Myers but I think just in terms of rewatchability um, I probably have watched you know the nightmare movies over and over more than maybe any other horror series if i'm guessing what about what about you guys like where do you fall on nightmare in general and freddy krueger uh as a as a horror icon well uh freddy scared me as a kid man so i i stayed away like like the plague whenever it was on i kind of glanced in the room i said oh no he's He's doing something again. He's, he's back. <laughs> he's he's showing up in another boiler room, and it's yeah. fucking scaring the hell out of me. So I stayed away from them for a really long time. I'm, I, I, I kind of saw some of them as a kid, but I really stayed away. I was more afraid of the idea of Freddy than actually seeing him on screen. I didn't see him on screen very often. Right. I'd say I've, I've seen most of them only once or twice in my whole entire life, and some of them I haven't seen at all. So yeah. that's going to be interesting to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm similar, Ronald, in the, in that I thought Freddy was a really scary idea when I first heard it, mm. and the reason why I think this series was so big for me was because it was kind of the tipping point for me with my interest in horror and creepy shit, overcoming my fear of it or overcoming my feeling that it could happen. And I remember right, somebody right. telling me about this movie, the first one. I think the first two were already out. Someone was was telling me about it, and I, I believe I was already looking at Fangoria on a pretty regular basis. So it's like I, I was aware of these movies, but there was a part of me, like I had a hard time getting to sleep when I was a kid. I had bad dreams if I saw anything remotely scary, you know. And and this was one that really sounded scary to me because it sounded to me like, well, once you've got this, then you can't escape. There's no safety. Like right. It wasn't like I thought Freddy was real for a second. I mean, I'm, I was never that, you know, out to lunch. But I did think, like, well, what am I afraid of if not something that can come and find you in your dreams? And that if just by thinking about it, you've brought it on you. You know, you don't have to, like, encounter it. You don't have to invite a vampire into your house. You just have to think yeah. about it in that way that, like, um, uh, Dan Aykroyd thinks of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man at the end of Ghostbusters. Uh, <laughs> Spoilers, where it's like, yeah. don't think of anything, and then the first thing, something's going to jump into your mind, you know? So, like, don't think about Freddy Krueger, and you're like, well, too bad. <laughs> I already did it. Yeah. So, I think for me, when I was, like, 13 or 14, no, I guess it would have been 13. The, the, the second one was out in 85, and I think it was around that time that I saw them on video. That, for me, was, like, when I went from being, like, interested in horror and kind of afraid of it to sort of going, okay, the best way for me to deal with these fears I have is to just watch these movies and have fun with them. And um, so, yeah, to me, Freddy kind of represented, like I I was telling you guys I had posters on my wall when I was a kid. And it's crazy to think that my parents would allow that. And I wouldn't even necessarily want that now. But I think that was why it was that to me, it represented some kind of, like I had achieved some status within myself of not being afraid to watch these movies that I was so curious about because you know prior to that I really was like almost 
to a superstitious degree. Like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't watch something I thought might scare me because I would be worried. Oh, I'm going to be up for literally for weeks. You know, Same. if if Same. I see this. I was shaken to my core by that guy. <laughs> so I, it, I didn't watch a lot of them. So. So, something that it's interesting that you, you know, both I've mentioned and, you know, Ronald kind of said right at the beginning of his thoughts. It's, it's kind of like interesting as we watch, as we go through these movies, because I mean, I watch these pretty regularly, but like as we go through this for this series, it is interesting to note, like, I guess how much Freddie, the character of Freddie changes as we get through you know, the sequels. And there is a definite point um, in the franchise where he kind of becomes the pop culture, you know, icon that most people yeah. think of when they think of Freddy Krueger. But I mean, before that point, and I mean, a lot of what these first two films, what we'll talk about in a moment, like these first two, especially the first one, the, the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, um, written and directed by Wes Craven, it's a really different it's a really different character. Like the, 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 the creepiness, the scariness of the idea mm-hmm. of what he's able to do and how he's able to do it mm-hmm. um, really clicks in the first one. And like, and it really is, it is, it is really quite terrifying. Just the idea of it. And as you, as we kind of get through these movies, even to the second one in Freddy's revenge, you kind of feel um, the awareness of uh, a studio or, or, you know, like a franchise to create more of a character that can like go beyond the screen and kind of get into things like merch and music videos and like, you know, things like that. And I mean, um, and I think that's like an inverse relationship. Like as it gets more into that, it, it becomes like less of a, less of a scary character so much as just like an interesting horror icon. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I I would, I would mirror those thoughts. I think the, the first two, He's he's scarier than he is in the ones after that, and that's not to say right. those are the two best movies, right. but just the figure that he represents is yeah. of a, a a creepy figure. Even when he's kind of brought into the real world, and we're able to sort of see, okay, Robert England isn't a big imposing guy, but when he's just lurking around uh, Nancy's house, he has this creep factor of like a. a a home invader type or yeah. something we might see in a true crime show or something. So like the fact that his, his, it's never been about him being the most imposing person, the way that Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees are both sort of big, yeah. uh, even though in the first Halloween, Michael Myers is not that big, but he's, I think Freddie's even more kind of unlikely uh, uh, yeah. of, as far as an intimidating figure uh, yeah, when you look yeah. at Robert England. So I don't know. There's something about, yes, in those first two movies, like not only was had they not yet decided he was a one-line artist uh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger where it's every, everything's going to be a pun but yeah. I think also um, you were learning who the who the character was and so they had to kind of roll in the story and roll in the mythology and they they it's not like they knew he was this joker and they just hadn't revealed it yet yeah, it was right. like they were slowly figuring out like how to make this guy scary and totally. I think those first two movies again it, it's more about this figure lurking around and him being this kind of scary looking person yeah um, Whereas later, it's more about like waiting for him to show up, and 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 do some crazy thing, and also the dream sequences again uh, become a big theme in this series. But the first two movies don't really have that much in the way of crazy uh, like dream imagery based on oh this person likes playing jacks, right, so their right. dream is going to be something where they <laughs> are turned <laughs> into a jack and they get thrown. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's there's um, I feel like that was something they didn't hit on right away. So the yeah. first. Mo- 
you know, the first movie in particular, it's using kind of nightmare imagery more like the thing where you're running and your feet get stuck. Uh, yeah. Less like, oh, I'm I'm afraid of roaches, so I'm going to dream about roaches or, or whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, aside from a couple things, like I wouldn't have thought he was magical at all. Like I just thought he would be like a person that was badly burned that is uh, clearly trying to murder every teenager that yeah. he comes in contact with. And, and I kind of like that. Like, I think you're right. There's something about that that character building that I really enjoyed that I, I guess I couldn't have enjoyed as a kid because I was absolutely petrified. <laughs> now that I'm, like, older, I'm like, this is scary as shit. But it's also, like, the molestery part of it, him being, like, a kid killer and, and like, a pedophile possibly – in the in the later ones is that like established in the yeah it's interesting i would say that some part of me thought it was always implied but they just didn't want to say it right later they were more explicit about it but you're right these first two movies there's no there's no pedophilia it's murdering kids no it's just murdering kids which makes it so much darker and it's it's also the the well, kids he killed so- the kids. The pedophile version kills them too. So I don't know. If yeah. it's, I don't know if it's. <laughs> yeah, it just it just adds on to. It. Right, I right. think it's darker when he's also a pedophile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far there- as like it being dark enough with this notion that he's a guy who they said twenty kids, you know. Yeah. Tw- yeah. yeah. And w- he took them all to that abandoned factory yeah. too. <laughs> so. Maybe we should talk about the tone of the first one that we yeah, kind of Let's just kind of yeah. get into yeah, yeah, Let's get into the first into, one. You, you already yeah. said it was written and directed by Wes Craven. Yeah. Many people view him as an influential person in the genre or a genius. Uh, I do think, for reasons I don't really want to go into because they're boring, I did watch the second one first uh, for this show. So it was very interesting just how much more of like a movie that was trying to be a genuinely good movie uh the first one felt to me after watching the second one first and that's not to say the second one again i haven't revealed that i don't think it's bad or anything it's just it doesn't feel like it's swinging for like the fences the way that i think wes craven typically does or did like yeah his movies you know he had an idea and a vision and 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 could speak very eloquently about his his inspirations and and stuff so i think that first movie you feel right away it has a real it has a real concept behind it you know yeah. Um, one thing I did notice about the first one is like f- this movie has the bones of a lot of other movies like Candyman feel. And like there are other films that I've seen, in, you know, after it. Maybe that's that's kind of when I think about whatever new characters they're trying to create, pro- possibly like let's say after 1987, 1988, it feels like everybody's kind of anybody that isn't quiet. Is kind of a, a Freddy clone or something like that with the uh, ha, ha. like he has a. I think once they realized like a that showmanship he had a, to it, yeah, the showmanship. Once they realized that he had an incredible laugh, yeah, and incredible at delivering lines like that, they everybody kind of ran with that sort of thing. But this this world building that they do this these old teenagers that that clearly don't seem like they're well this this girl's fifteen. Heather, Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, she actually does look sort of teenaged, but the woman, the woman who plays Tina does not look uh, as, as, as young. So, you know, anyway, but yeah, that's a that's a thing that carries over. It, this, you yeah. know, this is not the first movie to, to do that, but it does give us uh, our first look, right? At uh, Or is this our second look? Was he in Platoon first, Steve? Do you know the Johnny Depp story well enough to know which came first? Uh, no, I think I think this was his film debut. Yeah, so uh, yeah, fresh yeah, face. first. Johnny Depp. And I think that this was the one where he was like, I've now played a guy who wears like 
button-down shirts and khakis. So I don't <laughs> ever have to do that again. You know? Never again. <laughs> He's like, never will I ever, ever wear a pair of business casual pants ever in my life. Well, you know, um, I, have a, I have a new hot take based on my, this viewing, if, uh, which is hard to find when you've seen a movie a million times. Mm. But um, uh, Glenn is, is kind of glib and useless, uh, and Rod uh, has a lot more soul. That was my hot take after seeing that I, this time. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with you, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm gonna have to agree with you. There's a there's a lot more to Rod. Yeah, yeah. well, he had, he had, I mean, what happens to Rod is one of those horrible things yeah. in a movie where you just know. Um, someone was talking uh, recently about that scene in The Shining where Danny comes out with the ripped sweater, and and we believe at that point it might be a ghost that did it to him, but we totally understand that this is going to tear this family apart because the suspicion of what really happened to him is going to, you know, and so that notion of like, there's no way you can escape suspicion of this thing that you didn't do. Um, and, and, and everything leading up to it was so incriminating too. Yeah. Rod, Rod really was, was doomed from the start, but I mean like Tina's death is probably one of the most, iconic ones in the series and but to what i was saying before it's not based around she had a fear of the ceiling it's just based around like nightmare logic and nightmare imagery and like what would be a scary thing to see happen in the room if it was happening to someone you couldn't help but also like what it must be like to go through what she was going through yeah it's a it's a really gruesome and it really kind of buys into that notion that you were talking about ronald of like this guy is just i mean he's just a killer like I don't know. There's something really, really scary about him after after the the viciousness in that first movie makes him seem like a much scarier yeah. character. That that's also like one of the things in this one, especially because we don't see, um, you know, we don't see Freddy kind of like customizing the dream sequence. You know, yeah. we don't yeah. see him customizing the way that these characters die, and that again is what kind of makes it a little well, it makes it scarier because. You know, there's a really there's a there's a big problem in differentiating if you're watching a dream or if you're watching it in real life. You know, yes. much like Tina, you know, Rod is watching what's happening to her. You know, but in a dream, she is being killed, and it looks much like this or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like you know, to the characters when they're in those sequences, in every in most cases, they're not in an environment that they haven't seen before or that doesn't feel like it could be real. And that's what's really scary about you know the the kills and the setup in in this in this original film, um, you know because again you don't feel like it's surreal. You know you you feel like you know when they're walking down the hallways of the school and something's off. Like oh that's because she fell asleep in class and like they're but she's in school. Like this looks real. You know yeah. we as a viewer see a bit of a a haze or a fog on the shot to kind of help maybe differentiate it for us a little bit mm-hmm. um, or to make something just a little askew. But I mean, to the, to the character, they become a little more aware of it as they go through these sequences, especially Nancy. But I mean, it's kind of wild to watch this one again and know more and more about, you know, obviously again, having seen a lot of them multiple times, like how much it relied on the fact that it was, it, it was, a part of what was so scary was not being able to tell if you were dreaming or not yeah. or awake. And that's yeah. really fucking scary. And again, that's why a lot of these work so well. Um, and like you said, John, like the, the sequence with Tina, especially because you see a character watching it happen. Um, that, that just kind of like takes it to a whole other level. And that's why that's one of the most iconic in the whole series for sure. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about the, the, rules that are established about how freddie attacks people and and all that stuff kind of the you know 
that's that's important in in these sorts of movies the kind of establishing the rules of the dreams and being a what you think about like what, how like, they, are you, like anything specifically or what do you mean like uh, no 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 i guess i guess you know for every every movie that we watch that has a little magic in it i always wonder how, how if they do a good job of explaining the logic within the film do you, you I think know. the first movie yeah. actually does a really good job of st- so, of too. staying simple and kind of being yeah, elemental totally. Super about simple. it. Yeah. I think the second movie, it's almost like going back and seeing the second, which we'll get to. The second one does some does some interesting things, adding on uh, new Freddy powers, like uh, like it's a you know a new Star Wars movie where they're adding on Jedi powers left and <laughs> right. But as far as the first movie, I think the general idea is laid out pretty cleanly, and I think the whole fact of of uh, Nancy realizing she can bring, you know, I, that was one of the big things that stuck with me was that notion of something physical from the dream yeah. staying with you in the waking world. Because um, I think when you're a kid, you're sort of fascinated with that idea anyway. Like there's things you dream about that you like. I remember one time I dreamt of uh, of getting a puppy and I, and I kind of started to think it was a dream. And so I thought if I held on, oh, I, you know, I remembered thinking if I held on to this puppy. Yeah. Uh, he'll be there when I wake up, and I don't. And, and I feel like it's one of those dumb things where it's like, I never really proved it to myself one way or the other because something would always happen that would distract yep. me from it, and I couldn't say. But yeah. I had this feeling that, well, if I have it, then I, I, I should, or if I, you know, an album I wanted to hear by an, a, a band I liked or something. If I, if I have it in my dream, if I can like hear it in my dream, that's kind of the same thing as hearing. You know, I do Definitely. think that I, I think that again, that's obviously fantasy, but it is an interesting notion that the movie plays with and visualizes really nicely like when she brings the hat out it's the same part where she has the shock of gray hair which to me is another iconic thing about this movie it's just her look after she gets that that you know that's kind of like her her badge of honor and then of course she goes all home alone on freddy too which again yes. i think is a part that i sort of forget that that climax is very <laughs> hijinks uh focused yeah. you know um, but he's still scary. Him and him in that suburban environment, just looking like you said, Steve, just being a being in the world yeah. is a creepy presence, you know. And uh, you got to give him, you got to give him credit for inventing that. Yeah. One thing I did really enjoy um, was kind of the character actors that were kind of in it: uh, John Saxon and um, Ronnie Blakely. It, it it was really interesting to see. Kind of the, the the adults were adults in a in a cool way that I remember when I was a kid. Like you know, it, it seems like with a secret a lot of movies, and a and a and like a, a group murder that they were all part of. That's the way yeah. you remember adults. Yeah, right? that's the way you remember it. <laughs> you know, the ha- handling this group murder and the the mom kind of dealing with her pain through alcoholism. Yeah. I think it's really cool that they felt like adults. Like although these kids looked really old, it felt like their presence was like. I don't see adults like this anymore. You know, like John Saxon. When was the last time you saw a man that was like fifty-five or younger that looked like this dude? Like nobody has that look anymore. He has like this very distinct look that existed for actors back then, and he, I felt him every time I, he was in a scene. I'm like, I feel this man's pain. He didn't react to any of the carnage, by the way. Anything that came up, he would just be like, Yeah, mm, oh, okay. That's odd that the man was butchered. I love it when he says to the guy, uh, uh, watch my daughter. Watch the house. See if anything happens with my daughter. And then later, Nancy is like in the house, locked in with the bars. And the house seems to be on fire. And she breaks the glass. And she screams, Dad, Dad, help me, help me. And the guy says, "Uh, I think I better tell the lieutenant. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I, I was like, is that supposed to be a joke? Because it's almost perfectly delivered enough that yeah. it could be a deliberate joke, you know, that that's what's happening. But, um, no, yeah, I like John Saxon a lot uh, in this role. Um, I do also think her mother, is that Ronnie Blakely? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's she's just got this credibility. You you feel the history. You feel like the effort made to give those characters some, some kind of weight. Uh, yes. She had weight except for the last moment of the film when she becomes inflatable and gets yes. through a window. <laughs> I mean, she fucking becomes a balloon person. Um, something I had forgotten is how much they call him Fred in this movie. I can't stand it. I, I can't it. stand I it. it. They call. I kind of love it, but I had just I forgotten it. it. I had just forgotten that that's what they called him. You know, and like it's, I think Freddie is like really kind of like that demarcation point of like that's the that's more of the character, <laughs> right? You know that you get into. Oh, buddy, you're talking about the kid, the kid killer Fred. That's what you're talking about. You're not talking about <laughs> yeah, Fred the magical man. Either way, you know. Yeah, also, like, also that look. The, we've never really discerned like what is that supposed to be. The 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 sweater with the fedora and like you know work pants yeah work shoes i've never you know it is a funny look it's iconic but there's a part in the movie where she says he has a weird hat and yeah. i thought like I don't, it's not really that weird of a hat and i thought of weirder hats like th those yeah. hats that are like uh, an umbrella that sits on your head those those are weirder <laughs> but it's weird that he has a hat you know it's not, yeah. it's i'll give her that it's not a weird and then hat, he puts it, it, he puts it back onto his head very Neatly, just like, ah, time to terrorize you guys. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie in general. Like, you know, the from the rules to the carnage, it felt like there was some real stakes. And, and I think that's that was one of the cooler parts about this movie. Like, it really felt like there were real stakes. People were being victimized pretty frequently. It wasn't like... The deaths were spread out in a very almost perfect way. I feel like Wes Craven's pacing it's a 12 of this minutes film. in when we get our first death. This movie yeah. is 90 minutes, and it's an insult to say it feels longer, but I think you guys will know what I mean when I say it kind of, you think of it as longer because yeah. it moves so fast. Like, yeah. it does. Yeah. What, what, um, were you, what was the end of that thought, Ronald? You were, I wanted to hear what you were saying. Oh, what was that? What did I start with? Hold on, hold on. Uh, what was the beginning of it? Cause, cause I could, I can, I can rev the engine back up. I just got to remember. Oh man. Oh, uh, it was about the state. So the state. Yeah, were. Oh yeah. So the state. Oh yeah, the, the pacing. Yeah. Yeah, you the pacing. Craven, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay. This was. This is what I was going to say. I feel like Wes Craven's pacing of the action, and you know, having kids be unrealistically brave, and then also scary, and yeah. you know. I, he did such a good job of establishing the tone. Like, sure, I mean, at, at some point, we kind of accept that these people within this world are making crazy decisions, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I still feel comfortable watching it because the world has its own sort of logic that doesn't feel stupid. It feels more like, oh man, these these kids are being haunted by man when they in their dreams and they're, they're scared and. Yeah. This kid got framed for murder? That's another thing about Freddie. Freddie also likes to frame kids for murder. That's a that's a weird that's a thing that I didn't take the and, first and time then I saw kill this. Film. Them. It that it, it right. is right. Who who believes them? Who was soon to believe a teenager like somebody's killing people in their dreams? Right. Yes. yes you know what yes. I mean? So like that that's already a, a strike against them. <laughs> yeah. But and he's he's just wreaking havoc yeah. in this no, in this neighborhood. It's a good point. Like I think that um 
I think one of the like the big takeaways in rewatching it this time was like the reminder, really that, you know, what it like to this to the characters in this movie like obviously his mm-hmm. glove his razor blade finger knives for fingers like how you know how he's characterized through the rest of the series and like you know I have his glove still you know like it's like an iconic thing, you know the real I one. Think it's, yeah, I got it from him. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fred Krueger. Cool. Super. Yeah. Um, but what I was saying, like that, basically in this one, you really are reminded that um, these characters, you know, Nancy, Glenn, Tina, Rod, they, what, what's scarier, like that becomes like a like a like a marker for who he is, and like that's an iconic thing, and that's a characteristic of Freddy or of Fred. But I think what's really impressive about this one and stands out is that what's more scary about him is his reach you know what i mean like the the iconic scene of like her sleeping in the bed and like him kind of like stretching through the wall you know like that that's like an iconic you know his arms actually stretch at one part talk about his reach Right. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. When he first sees them, they're like very long, and <laughs> I like, didn't really understand. It's like early, yeah. It's old effects in, in the in the alley. Yeah, yeah. Um, still scary. You know you know still scary, saying, but goofy. Like, yes. No, no, you're it, right. You're right. It's, it's like it, there's it's a like breadth the of skill. He's got like a wide skill set as a as a character in this vein. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and just the fact that like that's how he gets you is in your dreams. Mm. And, you know, like all the sequences, like, you know, that sleeping sequence with like the wall is like, I, I like love that shot. Yeah, like, just that's the incredible. And like the practical, like the, how they use the sheet to get that yeah. it just looks amazing. And, you know, in the, you know, when Nancy takes the bath and like the phone, like all these little things that, you know, the claws become a part of it or the, the knives for fingers become a part of it. But it really is a reminder of like what's really scary about him is not like what he looks like or his like weapon, but it's just like the method that he has yeah. at his disposal to reach you and to kill you. And like, yeah. I love how, you know, in sequences when he's not even killing someone, you're just never able to really forget in those 90 minutes, like, Oh shit. Like look at that image on the wall. Like that's a way he's coming to get you. Like, yeah. it's just, it's really effective. And this one, more than really most of the other films in the series, that is a constant reminder that, like, it's just that ability to reach these characters anytime they doze off. And before it really becomes a huge plot device to, like, take no-dos or, like, things like we got to stay awake. You know, it's it's not as it, – it is important in this one in a way towards the third act, but it's not as, like, prevalent like it becomes in other movies, like, as they've learned more and more and more about Freddy Krueger. It's, it's, it's part of the formula, almost, that this one yeah, is yeah. – like, so many of, of the early slasher films or the first slasher film in a series, it is more of a mystery. It's more of a character-based yeah. thing. It's a whodunit. It's yeah. about laying out the rules as – you know, so this movie is – I mean, I, I think we all are agreeing that it was a very effective version of all that, that, like, if Absolutely. you're talking about kicking off of – obviously, it was effective because it did it. But I'm just saying if you see it now, you can see the – both everything that's brilliant and original about this concept and you can see the the hint of what it would become and the kind of self caricature that it would that it would kind of devolve or evolve into depending on how you look at it i I had sort of forgotten a couple of like nancy's like uh, almost like campy lines that she has in this there's a part where she runs into the the hall pass uh, or the the hall monitor freddie in the hall uh and says screw your pass but then later she says screw milk no, she says, uh, she says, uh, screw sleep. So she's screw your pass, screw sleep, but it's with milk. It's she says warm milk, 
gross when her mom <laughs> offers her yeah. warm milk through the door. So it's like she's, I don't know, I had sort of forgotten that she had two or three moments where she says a line in that sort of like, ugh, kind of petulant way. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. To me, the, there is, the, it's got shockingly small amounts of that campy stuff that a lot of times makes movies from this era, horror movies, slasher films, makes them seem kind of like you could only watch them as a joke now. This movie still holds some power despite being you know as you said having teenagers who are 30 and and that kind of stuff it's like it's, yeah. it's it hits all the cliches without being one of the one of those you know disposable movies yeah yeah so i guess we all liked it that that's a pretty cool that's a pretty cool me- measure uh, yeah, for a movie probably, that came out in 84 it's probably an understatement uh, this is a this is a movie i definitely love mm. uh you know, we, are we gonna like do something like where we like rank them in the series? I think at the end, it yeah, makes okay, sense absolutely. to do that. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 excellent, excellent. I'm super down. That'll for be that. fun. Yeah, yeah. No, in general, like yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is maybe one or two. It's in like there's like you know two or three that I like rewatch pretty regularly, and it's definitely one of the three, um, and one of my favorites in the series for sure. Um, yeah. And I mean, mentioning Wes Craven real quick before we get on to um, Freddy's Revenge, like. You know, he obviously has this legacy of like an iconic horror filmmaker, and he's, you know, beloved by basically anybody that's ever worked with him. You hear like this that the way they talk about Wes Craven is just like, you know, highly positive, and um, you just really treasure like appreciate like what he brought to the genre. And you think over the decades, you know, that he was able to kind of continue to contribute to the genre, yeah, um, create franchises, kind of have a real voice in the horror community. You know, um, between like, you know, Last House and Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously Scream, we've talked about, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a favorite, but it's just like really, it, it, it can't be, um, you know, I don't know what the, just like you, you can't not talk about a Nightmare on Elm Street, just like you can't, you know, you have to mention Freddie, like I feel like you just have to make sure you mention Wes Craven and, you know, the importance of like, you know, what that first movie did for horror, did for his career, did for Robert Englund. And, uh, you know, most of the people, and Johnny Depp even, you know, but yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. the first one is a classic in my eyes. So yeah. it's the reason yeah. Heather Langenkamp is a, I can say it, is a household name. <clears throat> Absolutely. <laughs> is it Langenkamp Camp or Lang- Langen? Is it, is it a hard G? I thought it was a Lang, I thought it was Langenkamp. Langenkamp. Okay. So yeah, right. there's a really, there's a really great documentary. It's a really comprehensive doc that came out on one of the yes. box sets, The Never Sleep Again. Uh, amazing if you like any of these movies <laughs> you like Wes Craven anything that we're talking about with this series of watch malls like that is a must watch doc um, yeah it's called Never Sleep Again um, highly recommend checking that out too it's one of those yeah. it's like super, like super so long it's like yeah. six or seven hours uh, there was one for the Friday 13th films as well yeah um, Cam Crystal Lake well, see Crystal I didn't like memories yeah I didn't get any sleep last night except for a very very short nap um and I wanted to let you guys know that I also had to pee uh, during Titanic when I saw it the first time. And I want yep. you to know that watching Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2 and not having it gotten any sleep the night before is the same sensation as needing to pee oh, and I... uh, watching Titanic and the slow drip <laughs> starts. And um, But yeah, I was like, I was worried, honestly. I was like, am, am I going to be so tired? Because, you know, when you're tired like that, it doesn't even matter if your mind is sharp. Your your muscles start giving out on you. And I was yeah. like, what's it going to be on the show? How am I going to reveal that uh, that I, I, I don't have any fuel in the tank? And I think it's my inability to say Langenkamp without really stopping and like taking a breath. Heather, I got you. Langenkamp. 
Langenkamp. Um, so, so yeah, uh, front, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. First question I got to ask you, Ronald, what the fuck is he getting revenge for? I don't know. It, it, you know, one thing you have Justice. to... If you're, if you're embarking on this journey for the first time in your life and you're listening to it as this is like a companion piece, please understand that every Freddy is so different from the other that you will be shocked to the point where like it, it is uncomfortable even if it takes place in the same like couple years of each other and this takes place uh, a couple years after the the first events this movie tonally could not be any different than the first <laughs> tell me what he's he's getting revenge on because I'm, I'm gonna bounce that question back to you <laughs> what what is he i think it's just a title that they were like I, yeah. I also recently watched Alien versus Predator Requiem, and I was like, okay, I, I kind of know what Requiem means. I have no idea what that title has to do with this movie <laughs> at all. I think Freddy's Revenge just sounds kind of cool. It's like saying the return of or the son right. of, you know, it's just like Freddy's back, you know, is basically what they're saying. Um, yeah. But they're, but they're leaning into the Freddy right there, even though in this movie they, they're more likely to call him Fred than Freddy. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I guess the calling him Freddy has been there in the song from the start, the one, two, Freddy's yeah. coming for you. So it's not like they've never called him Freddy from the beginning, but I do think it's funny that in this movie that's still generally the way people refer to him is as Fred. Um, yes. But then he'll call himself Freddy. He'll be like, hey. And he's not quite one-liner man yet in this, but he does have a few lines that are that are hinting at that kind of like, you know, like he's he's a smart ass. Like he... um daddy can't help you now he says that kind of thing you know where it's like it'll it's sort of situational it's not like necessarily as much of a pun but it is it is like he's stopping to be cool but the look of freddie in this film um is i mean it's weird i find it really gross i find him really unsettling to look at in this movie he doesn't look very real necessarily but he's wet and it's like yeah, I th- it's like he, just seems, he yeah. just seems sleazier. This movie yeah. in general has a sleaze quality to it. Like it amps yeah. up whatever was kind of sort of perverse about Freddy. And and uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think of the look and the feel of of Cotton? No, Freddy in this movie. <clears throat> John, you're underselling his look, man. In fact, I think he looks different every scene. Aaron and I were trying to determine if he looked the same in two scenes, and I don't think he did. Like. I think it's because maybe because, you know, it's like different scenes, different takes. He looks so different from scene to scene. I just know that he looks gross and he has a couple like scars within a general space. But if you look at the shots, he looks so different from scene to scene that I don't really understand what's happening in this movie at all in terms of his aesthetic. What do you you think, Steve? yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think uh, just aesthetically, I, I think this is like probably one of the oddest uh, ways that Freddie looks through the whole series, and yeah, and, and, and inconsistent. Yeah, you're right. Like in uh, different different scenes, it looks a little different. And I mean, honestly, like yeah, this one stands out as probably uh, yeah, this is like an outlier. Uh, you know, this is like one that is is kind of like super unique in a lot of ways beyond just the way Freddie looks. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Jesse, our protagonist, like, I think this is the only one in the series where like the protagonist is a, a male. Um, and that's kind of, you know, interesting. And this, this one has its own, like, you know, uh, popularity legend. I don't know. What do you want to call it about, you know, uh, just like, I guess how, uh, like homoerotic the movie is, mm-hmm. you know, like the, you know, Mark Patton has a doc out, even in the never sleep again doc that I just mentioned, there's a lot of conversation about, 
you know, the filmmaker and kind of what they were trying to do with the series. Um, but I don't know. There's a, there's a lot about this movie that I just, I don't really like. And, um, and I think that one of the things that really, after just talking about it so much with the original nightmare is just like kind of how they decide, um, you know, I guess as a studio, like we got to get this franchise, like what do we do that's different? That's Mm -hmm. not just the same movie. And, and, you know, I get that like kind of up the ante a little bit, but, um, you know, the idea that Freddy is able to, you know, uh, leverage this protagonist to kind of do killings, you know, that, that Jesse is actually doing some of the things in this movie via Freddy or through Freddy. And that Freddy actually is able to like attack a lot of these kids in this movie in the wake, in, in, in real life, you know, in, in the waking world. Like, it's kind of like those elements of this one are, are a lot of what kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of what makes it kind of weird to me. Like, I don't know. It, it's, it's very, I remember like watching this years ago and like, like, Oh, it's cool. I like it. But as I've rewatched the series over and over again, um, it definitely stands out in a, in a, in those elements I just mentioned, like stand out in a negative way to me because it, it really does lose a lot of, um, kind of the creepiness and, and like the, 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 the mystique or the super, you know, natural elements of uh, Freddy from from the first one and from ones that follow this sequel. Yeah. I mean, he, he looks gross and they're still making him an intimidating figure. There's, I feel like there's still a few shots in this of just him standing in the dark where you can't see him that well and his face just looks, I mean, you see the yeah. sliminess of him. I do think he's scary, quote unquote, in this movie. But I know what you mean about the, the story. It feels... Yeah, it's strange. Like it maybe didn't seem as strange when this came out that they were doing some different things with it. But to yeah. see that they've made as many as they have now, and that this is the only one that has those differences—the male protagonist, um, yeah. but also the sort of in between, like as though they're rewriting the rule book, as as though this movie has more to do with that and that moment of bringing him into the real world is really what they're saying. Like, oh, last time we learned he could be brought into the real world. Now we see that he wants to be brought into the real world. Yeah. yeah but it's yeah. like, it feels like a very sequely thing to do. But you know, the, that whole part with him, like taking on a whole pool party full of kids, yeah. it just doesn't feel that much like Freddy Krueger. Like you sort of right. forget that he ever jumped out of the ground <laughs> like that and like yeah. chase people around, uh, let alone that there's some kind of clumsy choreography in that scene there's one guy who runs towards freddy he's screaming and he runs <laughs> onto freddy's hand into him, oh. yeah, into him. <clears throat> but um i think that like one of my favorite kind of creepy scenes in the first one uh, there is a scene in the second one that reminds me of it and the scene in the first one is when we're finding out what's going to happen to rod and this to me feels like it's that whole uh the Wes Craven idea of taking dreams and saying, what's something that you might think would be cool to do in your dream would be like meet up with people, you know, have yeah. friends or go, go be part of some kind of dream world that you're all in. And that part where they're watching Freddie like milling up through the town and like basically that he's going to kill Rod and we're seeing him do that. Um, there's a scene in uh, this one where he's, he wakes up and he doesn't know he's dreaming and he looks in a, like looks in the cellar and sees Freddie throwing, I guess it's like a body part or something into yeah. the furnace. Mm. But that is that, serial killer feeling of Freddy again of yeah. like here's the suburbs and here's looking in a window and seeing something it's that's almost like something out of blue velvet or something where it's like you're right. in this you know uh, picket fence world and you're looking in the window and seeing this gruesome thing and it's almost like something out of a fairy tale the way he's lit by the furnace I thought that was kind of cool but what's weird is this movie they emphasize the furnace so much like they make that heat 
like a huge part of the movie. And I don't remember yeah. that ever being quite the same thing again, where like the fact that he- Freddie died in a fire was such a big part of like, you know, he brings on the heat. He, he you know, he comes around and things start, you know, birds burst into flames when, when he's around. Um, but yeah, I, to, to me, uh, th- they did very little that really added to the lore in a way that made sense. And they did kind of take away from the things that made him scary in the first movie. Like her bringing him into the real world as a defensive mechanism is different from him just being like... Like leveraging A that. guy running that's around. Like, yeah. And like that that's what he wants most. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I think they had some moments. But overall, I think you're right. That, that movie feels more weird and kind of unsettling. And in some ways kind of... Like I said, kind of sleazy uh, or something, uh, more so than than super scary. What, what what's your so, take on like oh. you know all, all the stuff like like with Mark Patton and you know the like I mentioned earlier like the filmmaker, like just the like I don't even know if it's like a backlash or like you know I never really it never really stood out to me until I saw the like huge section of it in the doc about like how this film has kind of like this. Uh, I don't even know what the right word is, but like, you know, like not a backlash, but like it's kind of known as being like this, like low key, you know, uh, and it's got like a following, you know, I th- because I think the of reason that. why you're tempted to say backlash, though, is because there is like a built in thing. There's like a backlash to the movie being the way it was. And then there's people right. who embrace the movie being the way it was, who say that it was yeah. kind of coded as right. gay. That's what the people that about. made it say they weren't really trying to do that. But if you were to tell me they've said uh they were i would believe it because this movie does feel like it wants to go there in so many right, ways it does. like right down to even having a relationship with a girl that feels very much like someone who's almost like being bullied Sonic? by society Unsh- yeah, into so. into putting on this role into acting like this guy and so it almost makes you think the movie had more on its mind than it knew because the, the actor was turning in this type of performance and i do think right. there are moments where there's a comic aspect right. to his performance like the high pitched scream um, it's not about it being feminine or about it being, you know, gay. It's about it being just like it's an he's sort of an unlikely hero to have in a movie like this. Right. Compared right, to yeah. almost all others <laughs> that we've seen. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, it's I, unique. I have a serious issue with sort of the the, the two issues that are kind of happening at once. One is it has some subtext. Right. That's 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 one thing. Right. But I think that what kind of is getting merged with this is that because it has that subtext, that it was received that the way that it was. Yeah. That's 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 what's kind of happening. But I'm here to tell you that the movie is just bad. He he put in a terrible performance. And I would have <laughs> loved if he would have just been a gay character who is dealing with Freddie in a way that fit into the 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 tone of the first movie. Look, I have you to didn't be love honest, that man. scene where he puts puts all his stuff away in his room by dancing, <laughs> dancing and bumping his butt on the drawer. So here's the thing: I saw. I, I kind of love that scene. I can't. <laughs> lie yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a I kind of love it. A scream Queen, uh, my night. What you doing? Just just cleaning my room. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. So I saw that documentary before I saw the second one. I actually did not see the second one. And skip the Dream Warrior just because somebody was like, "Don't see it." It's, it's. Right. so I, I saw this documentary, man. I felt this like immense amount of like sympathy for this for this guy, man. Like he had in, endured this really harsh um, sort of blackballing from this film. It, right. it, yeah, you know. I guess that's what I'm getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like he got blamed for whatever for people it. perceive yes. as the weaknesses of the movie. Yeah. Right, oh, and right. then I watched it and I realized, yes, he is the weakness. It's not because he's gay, though. <laughs> it's because he sucks. 
and he's putting in look the thing is tonally if you go back and look at the first one everybody's kind of being campy right a little bit but yeah. there's like a camp to it that is is uh, so some of it feels like the spillage from 70s style acting kind of leaking into about yeah 1984 1985 that's just that's just the breaks that's 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 jason saxon that's uh, uh, john, john saxon john saxon that's Ronnie Blakely. That's just that style of acting that existed in the 70s that has kind of leaked into the 80s, right? But you have him kind of putting on a performance that is so out-of-pocket weird. Yeah. And not because it has nothing to do with his sexuality. No, it's like I said, it's a high-pitched, like he does like a comical scream. Or or even when he's like upset about something, it's like there's, there's such a it's like overacting in the extreme, you know? Yeah, and what that does, though, is because the parents are actually better in this film, in these films to me, uh, in the second film. All of the parents all around, I think they kind of realized that they, they they needed parents that felt a little more grounded, right? So they got, the you know, the people that they cast feel a lot more grounded. And then you have him who's dialing it up to 2000 while everybody's kind of playing it normal. And so what it feels like is like every... Everybody's like, are you okay? And he's like, oh, no, I'm not okay. Freddie came and got It's just like, yo, what is happening right now? Did either of you and happen so, to notice the scene when he gets out of the car when they get to the school after the coach has died? He gets out of the car with a special kind of like, uh, <laughs> like, he just, it's just, yeah. fun. I actually filmed it uh, because I was like, it's such a hilarious little subtle thing because it's exactly what you're talking about, Ronald. Everything's got this little extra, like, dramatic gotta, flourish as though he's playing to people in the back row, you know, half a mile yes. away that need to see what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's my beef with it. My beef yeah. is that I had, because this documentary came out and it has this, like, you had sympathy. <laughs> yeah. Man, look, there are, there are situations where people are legitimately fighting for their voice to be heard, being portrayed as, uh, you know, their actual sexuality in a, in a film. Like, you want to be portrayed accurately, not as a stereotype or something right. like that. Natural. This had nothing to do with it. This man was yeah. dialed on 2000. It had nothing to do with his sexuality. This man would have been a straight man putting on this performance. And it feels strange. It feels, it, it turns it into what feels like a parody film. Like, it feels like, Freddie felt like, you know, the first one felt like, oh, man, this is like, I can't wait for the second one. This came out yeah. a year later, right. and this was the tone of it. I'm done with this franchise. If I'm, if I'm 20 going into the theater <laughs> to watch it, I'm like, this is the same movie? Well, that's I'm good, done. Ronald, because they never made any more. We just covered <laughs> them. Yeah. 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 Something that we didn't say was like, you know, the idea of like it coming out a year later was like, it's kind of like a, a known thing in, in Hollywood, mm. in the industry that like, you know, basically – New Line Cinema is like that studio survived and is around today, basically legendary, you know, because of Freddie. Like they call it the house that Freddie built. Yeah. You know, so like the success of Nightmare, you know, getting Nightmare 2 out, you know, which was also still a success um, a year later uh, is really motivation for a studio trying to stay alive and ultimately thriving because of this horror franchise and this character. Mm. Um, I wanted to circle back to one thing John had mentioned earlier, like, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of yet to the point where Freddie really does have like the zingers, you know, yeah. but he does have one of my favorite Freddie lines in this movie, which is, uh, you've got the body. I've got the brains. I wrote that I've down. Always, yes. I've always loved that line. I, I had, used to have a shirt when I was like, when I was like a kid that said that, like with like the an image of Freddie from this movie. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it's just a, I don't know. 
Yeah, that was I, a I cool. I don't know that I love like the idea of of of, of what his you know angle is in this movie like to kind of get into like him actively getting into the real world more of an offensive maneuver like john yeah. was saying you like that line better I than you are all line. my children now which is the strange <laughs> oh <my> thing <laughs> what does that even mean is that when he was at the pool yeah 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 <laughs> oh, okay like, yeah okay one other thing that no one's mentioned yet and i guess someone has to or we would really be uh not doing our jobs but grady has a leather comforter that was, a, that was a thing, right? Yeah. I never had a. Le- it's like a. Le- it's like puffy. I guess I was never like a baller like Grady. I feel like I feel like these first two films, like you know, Glenn had a pretty baller ass waterbed. Yeah, and I think you know yeah. he's got like a leather comforter. There's like something about progressive bedding going on in the yeah. beginning of this franchise. Yeah, or at least or at least contemporary yeah. uh, betting for the time that these movies came well, like out. When, if that was like '84, <laughs> Glenn had like the hand-me-down waterbed from his like swinger his uncle that yeah. had yeah. Uh, <laughs> that had gotten married or something. I need I need you guys to walk me through something. Right. Jesse Wal- Jesse Walsh is is very frustrated with with his life and the fear of Freddie killing him, so he goes to a bar that winds up being a gay bar. About Don's and he place? sees this. Yeah, and he sees his coach, who who has like a, a, a S and M sort of outfit on, and then he takes him to the gym and tells him to shower after he gets him to do laps. Yeah, he makes him do laps first, and then he showers. In but he's still in the leather. He's still leather clad, with this like, you know, kind of granny looking outfit. That's it looks like this was made at home. He did not buy this in a store. This was clearly custom made. No, clothes. that was that actor's own clothes. He just wore them yeah. that day. God, man, there were so many scenes that were bad like that. I, I didn't really understand. Um, yeah. What? So you you don't think that this? What do you think this does for the mythology of Freddy as we progress through the second one? I guess that's a pretty serious question. As it's we... almost like it's ignored uh, mm. a- after this. Like what what gets added to this and what gets emphasized. And I'm still kind of confused. I always thought he was killing the kids in the boiler room at the school. But we find out, and they actually mention it in the first movie. They She says that he was taking kids to an old abandoned boiler room. So it wasn't at the school. And then in this mm. movie, we find out it was that big factory. So I guess, I, I you know, I, I think we will be able to track it as we go along. But I don't feel like this movie adds that much that they come back to at all. Like one of the strangest things about it is like uh, Nancy's diary being a factor. Uh, That whole connecting to the past that way was never that important in the movies that came. I mean, they they would have characters come back and people that knew the story and everything, but um, that, you know, living in the house and having the diary be the thing that kind of unlocks the, the presence of Freddie was not something they ever came back to. So, yeah, I feel like this movie is, an, because of you know, what Steve said, it being an outlier, that's a good question, Ronald, but it really just points up how much they did not want to repeat this movie in almost any way. Um, and yeah. again, I kind of favor it. I don't favor it, but I kind of, I give it extra points for being an outlier and for being so bizarre and for having such a different feel to it. But um, there's a good reason why this is a movie I don't know that I've seen since I've first watched it maybe i've seen it twice compared to as steve said some of the others that i've seen you know multiple times uh you know can't even tell you how many times i've seen part one or three um so yeah just a strange thing i looked at the 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 gross the first one cost 1.1 million and made 57 million and the uh, second one cost 3 million and made 30 million so far from a flop just not not what the first one was you know yeah yeah 
Interesting. Interesting. Um, Grady's yeah, a good this... friend too, by the way. I think I should throw that out there. Yeah. You know, in yeah, the end, Grady's like, dude, yes, you can crash at my house. And then when his yeah. when his little buddy's falling asleep, he says like, "Sweet dreams, buddy," or something, something like that. You <laughs> yeah. know, like. I, th- I think that's a like, deliberate thing and actually a, a smart thing the movie does. Like, that's one of the smartest things they do is they set up this character who seems like he's going to be a total schmuck asshole. And then in the end, yeah, he's a good guy. Like, that actually shows some level of sophistication, you know, on the yeah. character level. But, I didn't really understand why that, why Grady called him pretty boy when that Grady's clearly a pretty boy. He's the like, pretty he's boy, like, right? He, he's the pretty boy with the nice hair, like frilly, beautiful hair. and. Well, he's staying at home on the night of the party. I wonder <laughs> if he protests too much. You know, like he seems like he's the cool guy, but he's not going to the party. He's right. the guy who says things like, what does he say? Do you ever remember your dreams, Grady? And he says, only the wet ones. Guys, yeah. guys who talk that way, and to my experience, are mm. not the ones who are actually having the the... The, the lives that they depict. So maybe Grady sits at home in his room with his cool rock posters and, you know, gets under his leather comforter. <laughs> Just waits for a good friend to drop by. Also, when Grady was screaming for his life, it felt like no one was really concerned. The, you know, parents are useless in, in the first two movies. There's a point when... And it's funny, they're, they're all very concerned about them before shit kicks off when yeah. shit kicks off they get very like oh I, they can't hear screams from within 20 feet of yeah. a window you're right it, ronald it, he's like in there screaming at the top of his lungs screaming. like reverting to like childish kind of screams and he's yes. on the the dad's on the other side but like what's going on in there <laughs> yeah what the what come on grady which you know it's just that's fair Bueller's dad too so question question about a scene like that. So mm-hmm. in that scene, is the answer that he's actually sleeping? I think that Freddie is out. I think that Freddie came. I don't think that Freddie actually entered the world. Yes. I think that what happens happens. But what Grady's seeing is because he's asleep. But that, yes, he is like up and Freddie is coming at him in the physical space of the room because Freddie's out at that point. Right. Like. Yeah, I'm thinking about like why the parents would be like, "What's happening?" I know like, they seem like they're they're, they're oh, out it, there for it, it, a long time, going, "What's yeah, happening?" It, yeah, yeah, it's like almost like like a passive, like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, like it's not like an active, like, not not to give more credit than is due to <laughs> maybe it's just like a bad decision. I think, I think it is just yeah. bad, but it's fun to try to give. It more yeah, credit. it it is yeah. like because you can think about that, and like, yeah. that would make sense actually. Like you like you hear your kid like maybe having a bad dream, but you, you don't go in. Yeah. But in 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 Grady's eyes, like it's like murders happening you know yeah. like that that's why we are watching it so loud and huge well we but. know about grady's dreams so his parents have learned not to come in at night. exactly yeah, yeah <laughs> like they know better yeah. um, his, mom, his a, mom has had to wipe down that leather comforter how do you feel about the the distribution of the the murders in this film there are no that like in the first 40 minutes i'm i'm almost seeing no carnage i'm just seeing a bunch of how many, how many people die in this movie the coach <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then like we can't count the people. I mean, we can the count pool party, them, but it's hard to say. About it's... Where Freddie starts to do like the side gallop to get to, he's just kind of like ah, he's playing defense on them like they're playing basketball or something <laughs> to kind of capture them. It's like a side gallop that he's doing, which is very annoying. Um, I like the close-ups 
of his mouth when he would revert to the personality of Jesse. It was like, you know how on Ren and Stimpy when they cut to the close-up and it's like a painting and it's just it's super, like so detailed, super gross? Yeah. Those yeah. shots were some of the most disgusting shots in the movie because it's like... They were and, it, and that And those shots, it honestly looked like the wetness on him was blood. So to your point, Ronald, yes, every shot, Freddie has a different, has a different, so different. look, a different like off-model design, you know? Yeah. So it, it looks like it looks like the kill count uh, has... So not including the pool partiers, it maybe maybe three. See, oh God, see, yeah. Like if you include Carrie, you know, at the end, it doesn't make um, any sense. This is this is a we, and the, the parakeets first, don't count either. But. Yeah, the first. Oh yes, they were. God, man, I felt so bad for them. Get get caught in that destruction. So for for the first first, we're not going to even talk about the toaster that got lost. Yeah, the toaster. <laughs> We saw murder happening constantly in the first. The second, it seems like there's upwards of like 40 minutes between some of the murders. Like it just feels like it's it's not really, the stakes are very low. And he's also taking it out on one person. That's also very yeah. weird. Like he he's just like, ah, I just wanna fuck with this guy. Well, he, he's he, like you, he's like, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he sucks. He, he exaggerates. I want to see if, if you, I if can you, if, if I can use if you, him. If you count the pool partiers, this is the highest kill count in oh, any of the. Yeah, we're films. not going to count that because it certainly yeah, doesn't okay. feel like the highest. Uh, that, that's a that's a confirmed ten kills, including oh, the, okay. the pool people, uh, and the guy he throws into the grill. And it also says that guy died uh, in the grill. I mean, that's what it says. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> he, that guy he, is so great. <laughs> he's labeled as would-be negotiator, slashed and thrown into. That's grill. right, the guy who says like, "We're here to help you," and he says, "Help yeah. yourself." Yeah. <laughs> so tell me this: so Freddie can materialize anywhere. He can manipulate his body, but when it comes to fucking barriers, when it comes to gates, he can't go through the gate. He has to kind of singe the gate. He can't really. What's that about? Why does he choose to not be violent when he's exiting? He's just like, all right, see you guys later. And he just—it's way too much. Singes the <laughs> too too much too much thought went into that. That's great. <laughs> I don't understand. I'm just saying, like, why did he do that? He and, and in a prison scene in the first film, he goes through the wall without creating any sort of. Yeah. And then that the other time, I, I'm I'm not following. The path of destruction is very different in the second, is all I'm saying. I think you're right. Strange you're right. movie. Um, I wanted to mention also when we were talking about the month, like John mentioned the uh, budget and the gross. Mm-hmm. It is kind of crazy to think. I mean, I mean, basically, like inflation would, you know, basically like ten times whatever it was then Jesus. now. But I mean, like it, it is kind of like crazy to think like if you thought now, like if a horror movie came out now. And was gross, you know, budgeted for, you know, I think it was, well, no, I guess it was, you said it was three, right? Three million? Yeah. So, like, you know, hold on, let me, do I got this math right? Three, it it made how much again, you said? It made 30? 30. I think it made 30, yeah. 57 on 1.1 and then 30 on three. Yeah. And if, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to think about, like, you know, the movies that come out today that you know that are deemed successes and obviously the box office has changed a lot but i mean for being the second film they got out within a year afterwards um you know making 10 times what your budget was is that's huge i mean like you know it may not have made as much as nightmare did the first one 
but um, you know, making ten times your budget. That's like a massive success. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, like, so yeah. that's enough to say like, okay, uh, let's make, we got, more. we got to get another one out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we got to, we got to keep this train rolling and obviously, Oh, they and they out. did Steve. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Transition. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. The last thing no, I'm going to yeah. say, you got to give this cultural context too. It was harder to go to the movie theater. You would have to look at the newspaper and look up the times. And if the times, if you if you had an old newspaper, you just had the number. So you had to call and listen to the time that it was there, go to the theater. It, it just, you couldn't buy anything in advance. And if you go, it, this is Freddy. Top, top, the, the most popular movie. You go there, all the way there, and they'd say, oh, tickets are sold out. You're like, shit, I'm going to go in a week to see this. If you had to make an effort, is all I'm saying. It was, it was very different to see a movie now. I yeah. remember... Going into situations in the 90s where you just shit was just sold out because I couldn't call ahead and see if, you know, so you had to make an effort. That's all I'm saying. $30 million. Sorry. No, I was just looking to see the gap. Like they they did, they took a year to make the second one. And, um, you know, the two years, two years, they they spent a little extra time uh, making part three. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to find out next time if it was worth the extra year i'll go ahead and give you this little preview that uh the the third nightmare on elm street movie cost a little bit more it was cost anywhere from 4.3 to 4.6 million but it made do you happen to know steve no it made basically the same return or the same yeah it's about 44.8 million so it's about 10 times the budget um which again if you say that that sounds insane any movie making 10 times its budget is yeah. fantastic Um, yeah and a horror film yeah to be the like and that and that and that holds true today we know that you know, the, the Blumhouse model of saying, you know, we're going to cap this budget. That That's why they, they succeed off of case studies like these. You know what I mean? And, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's a conversation that a lot of these production houses have is that, like, horror is profitable because of movies that pave the way like the, like this, like the Halloweens, like the Jasons, that they make these movies. And, you know, again, in, you know, 1984, 85, you know, four million five million dollars whatever you know as we ramp up these sequels you know that's that's it's it's a lot of money but like in the scope of like what's being made in hollywood it still pales in comparison and that's why these horror films even to this day you know they kind of are able to exercise that approach to making them is that people are drawn to these movies for a very visceral reason and you can make them for not a lot of money and you can make a lot of money on them if they connect. And like, this is a series that for the better part of the run of the franchise continues to see that kind of return, you know, the, the seven to 10 multiplier of, of the budget to the, to the box office. But, um, yeah. So yeah, next, next time we, we come back to nightmare, we'll talk about, uh, what dream warrior and dream master. Um, is that the yeah, order? Man. Yeah, it's Dream. I think. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Dream Ma- Warriors, Warriors Dream three, Master, yeah. Masters yep. four, and what is it? Uh, Dream Child. Child. Yeah. There we go. But yeah, spoiler alert: Nightmare three is probably the best one, so I can't wait to watch that one. <laughs> but Nightmare three is also <laughs> when when they turn the corner into the version of Freddy, the hero. Ver- I mean, even though it's he's yeah. still despicable, he's still villainous. But yeah, yeah. but the, these two movies are the ones where he's the most like. He's evil. He's a monster. We think he's gross. After this, he starts to become a slightly cuddlier 
version yeah. or a slightly funnier version at least. But at that point, he's you know he's popping up in a, as a pop cultural figure, um, you know, not you know like Pee Wee Herman or something. <laughs> at yeah, that point, no, not, that's that's exactly what it is, and it's, <clears throat> it's across the next two that we'll get to. It, it, they really are the crossroads in the in this series where you do have that you know moment where the the zingers the character of Freddy Krueger uh and and the idea of like the dream element and the way the approach to killing these teens off one by one I think really kind of hit like a pinnacle you know yeah. where it's not too much of one and not enough of the other um you know I think these two are pretty two, both of them are actually pretty great and uh you know, you, you really do get uh, to enjoy um, just the idea that we can balance out the approach that he takes to killing these people and kind of developing the character to be able to use as a franchise icon. And it really kind of clicks in three and, and, and four. Well, like you see someone and you go, they really developed this guy so that I know that he loves tube socks. So I know that he's going to be stuffed into a tube sock or he's going to be stuffed full of tube socks or something. Yeah. A big tube sock's going to come out and it's going to be red and green. Something's going to happen. But no, yeah, I, I think yeah. you're right. Like three is like when they hit at that formula. Four is almost like when they perfect the formula. Yeah. And then it's like, then that's, I mean, yeah, we're not, we're spoiling our opinions, but we'll get a, to after it. that, it's a little different. <laughs> this will be the more interesting, the yes. ones to probably talk right. about. Yes. We talked about no. the other ones so no, much that's on true. the podcast. That's true. Three and four, uh, that's true. We're going to have to work hard to say, to point out sequences we haven't yet. Um, but honestly, for, yeah. for for Freddy's Revenge, this is the first time in a while that I've watched it. So I'm glad I had an excuse to watch it. And I do think some parts of it, I think that like the first one, that mix of dream world and real world is a powerful idea. And there are scenes in that that just can't help but have power to them when when this Jesse, when he's not screaming and he's not emoting, and he's just wandering yeah. around. Like that yeah, feeling yeah. that you have of, it's not the whole thing of what later becomes a gag in these movies of, oh, we know the person's dreaming and we see how it's like, yeah. It's more that we're witnessing someone notice that things just aren't quite right yep. in yep. their world. Exactly. And that it, that still has power, I think. <clears throat> Definitely. Absolutely. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, that'll wrap up this uh, the start of the Nightmare franchise in, in our new Watch Em All series. Yeah, I like that. Watch Em All. Uh, watch Em All. See, I like that we could say Watch Em All, but we can also call them Watch Em Alls. Like, these movies are Watch Em Alls yeah. because they're the watch kind you yeah. watch them all. Yeah. Yeah, I so said before we were recording, like, you know, we're, we're trying to get that into the into the pop culture you know what yes. I mean? we have pajanimals yeah. i have a three-year-old so i can i know them all you know hatchimals pajanimals whatever now there's watch them all yeah right and we should probably copyright it or trademark it now we before this episode comes out we we're won't. gonna regret this we won't yeah not at all <laughs> uh moviesmovie.com <laughs> <laughs> is the website again I mentioned at the top of the episode, um, if you are a fan of the MCU, Marvel movies, comic book movies, comic books, or just our podcast, uh, you can uh, hit up our YouTube channel to not only see our podcast video episodes, but also the special Marvel Schmarvel series that we're doing to kind of follow along with the Disney Plus series. So if you can hit the YouTube up, you can subscribe, get notifications about when those videos and these come up on the channel. Um, if you want to find the podcast and listen to it in your earbuds, or near Bluetooth speakers in your homes or wherever you choose. Uh, you can find the podcast on basically every podcast platform. But if you go to pod.link slash movie schmovie, um, it's a nice little page that we have that lets you take your pick wherever you prefer to listen to it. Um, and wherever you are, if there's an option to review it or rate it or give some feedback on it, um, we would love that if you can do that um, and let us know what you think of the podcast. You guys have anything else you want to mention before we uh, sign off? 
No, no. no. Cool. Thank you guys for getting together. I had a lot of fun talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, we'll be back next week with an episode uh, about the current releases coming out next Friday, March 5th. And uh, we'll see you guys then. As always, you've made our day. Thanks. Bye. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs>